All right, everybody, let's get ready for Deuteronomy class. The last Deuteronomy class, and we're off for the summer. So let's give it our all. That doesn't mean walk out the door. Everybody come back and open your Bible for Deuteronomy class. (laughs) Deuteronomy class. Also known as Dude, You're On To Me class. I have a visual aid for you to show the group. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. Thank you. I wonder if, let me, I want to take this back and let Pastor Steve read it. Read the front. Let him see it real quick. Let's get settled for Deuteronomy class. Thank you guys for closing the doors. Yeah, it's up front. I'm sorry. Hey, hi, buddy. Come here. Come here. Come with me. Uh, It's up front on that seat there. All right, read it for me. Okay. What's it say? Jerusalem? And is Adonai on there anywhere? Okay, yeah, there are no vowel markings. Okay, awesome. Yeah, give me a kiss. I love you. What's that? I do, I'm good. Bye, sweetheart. Let's pray together for Deuteronomy class and then we'll get started. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for our time together in the Word and praying, God, that you bless it to our understanding. You help us, Father, in growing. And thank you, God, for the book of Deuteronomy and very excited about picking it back up in September and moving forward through and uh, seeing all the wonderful things that you've included in your Word that tell us more about you. Uh, convict our hearts today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Miss Barb Jantz, also known as Zach's mom, uh, brought a mezuzah, which is what we were talking about last week. And what the mezuzah was, was uh, a box type deal that they would take and uh, you were only supposed to put it up on the right hand of the doorway in the inner walls of your home as you went from place to place. And as people would go by, they would reach up and they would touch the mezuzah as they went. Um, This is really neat, and in the back of it here, you can pull this side across, and it's got rolled up inside of it, scrolls with Hebrew on it, and you're going to find in there Deuteronomy 6, uh, or sorry, yeah, Deuteronomy 6, verses uh, 4 through 9, you're going to find what we looked at uh, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 11, I think it was, that's a chapter that we're in right now, but if you look at chapter 11, you will find, uh, let me see here, from verses 13 into 22 there. And it also contained, just a second, let me see here. It also contained uh, Exodus 13, verses 1 through 10. Uh, and it's believed, uh, I think, 11 through 16. Uh, some some say that... Uh, it was uh, Numbers 6, 4 through 9, or sorry, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, which we looked at last week and finished with, and then Numbers 5, 37 were all considered uh, what was rolled up here. And the reason was is because the men would pray those scriptures twice a day uh, was the reason why they, so, so uh, thank you for sharing this, this is really cool. Uh, so all of life, as far as a Jewish perspective was concerned, was to be 
dominated and overwhelmed with the concept that Yahweh is God, that he alone is the one that is the provider, and that all allegiance was due to him. Um, That is such a radical concept, especially in our day and age today. Um, I don't think that Christians have been called uh, to any less. In fact, if we were to say what it is to be... um, I have to be careful with this because it makes it sound like that this is what's needed for salvation when it's not. But if we were to talk about what it is to be uh, obedient to the obedient to the maximum in our Christian lives, it would be that everything in our life, every every direction that we go, decision that we make, uh, view viewpoint that we want to have, answer that we want to offer, is all going to be saturated by what God has already said in His Word. It is a full not withheld, no holds barred, unadulterated devotion uh, to God alone. As though, as just, he is the very culture of the way that you would live your life. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, let me ask this real quick before we jump into 11. It's really cool. Where'd you get that? eBay? Awesome. I love it. eBay. Everybody go to eBay and type in mezuzah. See what you come up with, right? That's good. That's excellent. Um, why? And I, I think it's important for us to think through this because I'm going to be preaching on some things in a couple of weeks that are going to really deal hard with this issue. Why do you think it is that um, God wants the lives of the nation of Israel to be saturated with him? What are some reasonings that you could say, well, this is the reason why God's asking for that? What's that? Well, obedience would be complying with that request. But my concern is, what is what do you think is the motivation of the request? Why would, why would God say something like, you know, Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all of your heart and all your soul. <clears throat> and then it goes on to speak of blessing. Excuse me for that. Uh, if you turn back to, Uh, chapter 10 and look at verse 12 it says now israel what does the lord your god require or ask from you but to fear the lord your god to walk in all of his ways to love him and to serve the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and then look down also at um uh, let's see here verses uh what would it be 20 uh chapter 10 verse 20 you shall fear Yahweh your Elohim, and you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. Why? Why would God ask all these things? To do these things would definitely be obedient. So understand, I'm not discrediting your answer there, not at all. But but I want to know, what is the oomph behind it? What do we think? Roxanne, what do you think? Yes. Uh, Roxanne is giving the argument that we saw in Deuteronomy 4, that there is no other nation that would be as righteous as Israel by doing these things. And by doing these things, they serve as a magnet, as a megaphone that reaches out to the nations. And you remember they actually said, all the nations will come to you and say, what other nation has wisdom like this? What other nation has rules as righteous as yours, governance as good as yours? What other nation has a God that when you call out to him, he actually answers you? This was something that drastically set Israel apart from the rest of the nations. Now that's an extremely good reason, 
But let's let's for a second separate the idea of we're only talking about Israel. Let me ask you this question. Is it safe to say that the idea of obeying God without hindrance would be something that he desires for believers in the church age as well? Would we say that? Absolutely. We're not the nation of Israel. We're the church. We're something completely different. It's been called. But God's desire for his people doesn't change, does it? So here's the question for you as a New Testament church age believer. Why would God desire your full devotion to him? He's a jealous God. What does that mean? Let's expound on that just a little bit. Is he green with jealousy or green with envy? I guess not jealousy is jealousy. Is the color for jealousy green? I don't know. But what does that mean? He's a jealous God. That's a, that's, does that ever strike you when you hear that? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Okay? To praise Him, to worship Him? He's truth. Mmm. Keep going. I don't want to cut you off. Mm-hmm. Yes. There you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Because he's truth. That's amazing. Wasn't it interesting that Pastor Steve said a little bit ago, the first thing you have to do is let them know they have sin. They need to be convicted of their sin. And I asked him, but isn't that unloving? Have you ever bought into the mindset? Because it's a false one. I'll go ahead and tell you now so you don't embarrass yourself, and that way you don't have to raise your hands if this is you. But have you ever bought into the mindset of, well, if I tell them that they're sinners... That's not very loving. Does everybody realize that that is a great lie that Satan has sown in Christianity? In fact, the most loving thing that you can tell somebody is you are a sinner and you can show them that they are a sinner and you can tell them that you are a sinner. Why is that? Because all of us need a savior, right? How many of you ever called the plumber out to your house, but you didn't have a leak or need anything fixed? I don't make any sense, does it? None. You know, any of you ever gone to the store to get more milk? You realize, no, you've already got eight gallons of it sitting in your refrigerator. You see what I'm saying, though? It makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense to call somebody in when there doesn't seem to be a problem. So notice, you have got to show people the problem and expose them to this understanding that you can't rescue yourself from the problem. You need a rescuer. Well, this is the same thing with what God is getting at here. Notice, here's what I love about your answer. Truth is a person. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It can be those things. But before it's anything else, it is a person. And that person is the God who created all things because he sets the standards for right and wrong, and he never operates in a fashion that is contrary to his person. Therefore, he always operates in truth because he is truth. Does that make sense? Otherwise, you've got a God that you don't know what he's going to do. There's no standard to keep him in check. He's mysterious enough knowing that he never changes, right? But think if God was always changing. And think if God condoned and approved of sin. You realize there's a lot of Christians that believe that? 
Our good friend in the next state over, John Piper, he actually believes that God predestines the sin of the world, and he does so for his glory. God uses sin so that he will get more glory. And so therefore, you know, what about Adam and Eve falling into garden? Well, he had to fall because God predestined him to fall. That's scary. Because you know what that says? It says that God can't get his glory accomplished apart from sin. Now God is reliant upon sin for the optimal goal. That's scary. Scary stuff. It makes God evil is what it does. Good answers. He's truth. He's jealous. Here's a reason why God keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. All these answers are right. But the reason why he pushes for maximum obedience in our lives, and he does it lovingly, caring, graciously, leads us along. Notice that the the examples given there are sheep and shepherds and those types of things. That's how God pictures himself. That's how Jesus illustrates himself in leading us along. But the reason why he does that is because there is nothing better. There is nothing better than God. There's nothing better than God himself. And when he talks about who he is and what he's accomplished, guys, he's not being a megalomaniac. He's not being egotistical. When he is setting standards, he is not a chauvinist. Or he's not a, you know, he's anti-feminism or all these other garbage ideas that this world has created and thinking that somehow it operates apart from God. All of that is a pipe dream. God is the best that you can get. And if it's an indisputable fact that he is the best, when he tells you to love him, to serve him, to worship him, to keep his commandments, to follow after him, to not go astray, to to soften your heart, circumcise your hearts and no longer stiffen your neck like we saw in 1016. When he says those types of things, It's not because he's trying to kill your good time and it's not because he's trying to throw his ego around the room. He's just trying to tell you the truth and he has to tell you the truth because the truth is what is consistent with who he is as the truth. Does that make sense? So God's not telling you anything that isn't the best thing because he is the best thing, period. Period. That's important for us to know. So with that in mind, let's jump into Deuteronomy 11. We left off with this uh, section that was included in the mezuzah. The idea was saturating your home, whether you sit down, whether you rise up, whether you walk, whether you lie down. It doesn't matter. It's all to be saturated unto God. You're supposed to write of his name on your doorposts, of which the mezuzah would come in handy. You are to teach your children, verse 19. Talk of them when you sit down in your house. Notice verse 18, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your, what's the word guys? Heart. And that is the crux of the issue. And in two weeks when we start this short little sermon series we're going to do, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys in on it, okay? The problem is the heart. We are going to deal with the decadence of the heart And what that has manifested in our society, which we know is the world, of which Satan has carefully and craftily operated. And we're going to talk about what God's truth looks like in opposition to all of that, top to bottom. Um, Our our culture is so um, ready for judgment, ripe for damnation. It's incredible. And it's disturbing. Uh, And it goes beyond the surface level of where we think the difference is found. And I think it's important that we address those things. 
The problem is always the heart. Verse 22. For if you are careful to keep all this commandment which I am commanding you to do, to love Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then Yahweh will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Does everybody see that? Yes, everybody got it? Okay. Uh, here's the reason why that's important is, is because I want you to compare that with, where did I have it? I, I had it just a minute ago. No oh, good grief. I can't find it. Forgive me, I'm not finding it. Never mind. Point taken, Lord. Thank you. Let's move on. <laughs> Notice that it's Yahweh who brings the victory. If, you're, if Israel was going to be successful in conquering the land, it's going to be because they had to submit to God. Strength was found nowhere else. Maybe it was in chapter 10. Now it's killing me. But it's the idea that Yahweh is the one who gives the strength to be successful. We often think of the idea is strength in our lives is better planning. There's everything to be said with good stewardship, so we're not going to knock that. But if that is the reason why things are coming off successfully and glorifying to the Lord, you've missed the point. Some people think, well, the reason is, is I need to get better, better educated about some situations so that that will be the way that this will be successful. If that has become your mode and your method, it's still I at the center of all of it. Does everybody see that? It's what I'm going to do and how I'm going to accomplish it. There's nothing wrong with learning more. There's nothing wrong with getting trained to do better. There's nothing wrong with rearranging your life. But if it is without the motivation of receiving God's best because God's best is God, then you can guarantee one thing. When you peel all the, the pieces of it back, you're going to find that we are standing in the center of it and we are expecting to get all the glory and the credit from it. So notice this idea. By submitting to the Lord, it guarantees victory. By submitting to the Lord, like we saw before, verse 14, there's agricultural provision. By submitting to the Lord, your livestock is going to be able to be sustained. Life will only be successful and prosperous, period, if the Lord is the center. That's the only way that's going to happen. Roxanne. Chapter 7, verse 22 in Deuteronomy. It's not, but it'll work. It's good. No, thank you for looking at it. It's a great passage. It says here, The Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, will clear away these nations before you little by little, and you will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. But notice it still. The Lord is the one who fights. The Lord is the one who secures the victory. Barb, what did you have? You had your hand raised. That could be part of it as well. It's not what I was looking for, but yeah, that's right. 8, 15, and 16. Look at chapter 8, 15, and 16. Mm -hmm. Right. He gives you the power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. It all comes from God. It all comes from God. So let's say that Laverne's in a pickle. Okay? He's got to feed those cows, right? Starving cows make pitiful milk, don't they? Yeah, that's why I drink almond milk. Almonds never run out. So, but no, seriously. Are you the one who put the newspaper clipping out there? I figured that was you. 
They got a guy out there squeezing an almond trying to get milk out of it. And somebody wrote Pastor Jeremy at the top of it. So I figured that was you. You got to feed the cows, don't you? There's no way around it. So let's say that we're in the midst of a drought, which never seems to happen around here. But let's say that we're in the midst of a drought. And all of a sudden, Laverne and Cheryl got problems. How are we going to make this work? How have people tried to cure that in the past? Irrigation? Voodoo rain dances? That's what Indians would do, wouldn't they? Am I allowed to say Indians or do I have to say Native Americans? Our world's so PC. What garbage. Um, silliness. But you see what I'm saying? People would look for every method but get on my knees and put my face to the ground and do as Elijah did, right? Lord, you're the only God in heaven. Make yourself known. Send down rain. In fact, aren't we told in James, Elijah was a righteous man. Prayers of a righteous man avails much. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and for three and a half years, you didn't see a drop. And then he turned around and he asked unto God, please make it rain, and it rained. Why was that? Because God listens to righteous people. And not just righteous in position. I'm talking about righteous in practice. I'm talking about people who have looked at God's truth and have said, this is the greatest possible truth, period. That dictates how I operate my life. That's what it is to walk in fellowship with the Lord. It's to be recognizing that how we see world, how we see the world does not serve as the glasses of which we read the Bible. But when we read the Bible, it gives us the glasses to be able to see the world. See, Satan wants to get it backwards. Satan wants to get it all messed up. It, I am mind blown. I shouldn't be. This world's sinful and going to hell anyway, so I shouldn't be. But I am mind blown at where we are as a society. And God's judgment should come. And we shouldn't expect any less. And we're going to be persecuted. And we should be mentally and spiritually prepared by our devotion to God to recognize it's not going to be all roses for much longer. It's not. So, it will be. It will be. In fact, we're going to deal with some of that. We're going to deal with the whole Sodom and Gomorrah incident as well. So, but let's finish this off. I, I don't want to preach when I'm going to preach in two weeks now. So, I'll be like, yeah, we already heard that sermon. We're staying home. So, uh, notice what it says, verse 24, uh, chapter 11, verse 24. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Notice that he's talking about inheritance, possession of the land. Why will it be yours? Because of your devotion to Yahweh and keeping his commandments. Well, wasn't the wasn't the the land of Israel promised or wasn't the land of Canaan promised to Israel? Yes, it was. But just as he would not allow for the disobedient first generation to enter in because of their failure to trust him and go in and take the land so that he could fight for them, he kept them out of the land. Was it still promised to them? Yes. But he can withdraw them from the land just as easily as he can put them in the land. What it's contingent upon is their obedience. That's important to understand. Notice it says after that, your border will be from the wilderness to Lebanon. In other words, from the south, the Sinai wilderness, all the way to the north where the border of Lebanon is. 
He says here, and from the river, the river Euphrates, that's in the east, runs into the Persian Gulf, as far as the western sea being unto the Mediterranean Sea. He says here, verse 25, no man will be able to stand before you. Yahweh your Elohim will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set foot as he has spoken to you. In other words, he will be faithful in his word. Now think about this. Imagine you're getting ready to go into battle, okay? Everybody's getting their guns ready. Everybody's got their red headband on like Rambo and you got, you know, uh, hand grenades across your chest or whatever else, okay? Whatever you would do to get ready for battle. So you're doing that, you're getting ready to go in. But imagine you've got somebody, it's a private looking over at you, how are we going to win this war, Corporal? You know, I mean, how are we going to do this? How are we going to be successful? We have a secret weapon. Oh, what is it? What is it? Some kind of bomb? Some kind of arrow? I don't know. What is it? We're going to get out slingshots and somehow that's going to work like David? No, no, no. It's much more different than that. Actually, we're going to do internal warfare. What is that? Well, the Lord is going to go before us and he's going to get people so anxious and unsettled and stirred up that internally they're going to fear us before we ever even step into their sights. I don't know about you, but that's a war you can win easily. It's one thing to be fighting externally. It's another thing that the Lord goes before you and messes people up on the inside that causes them to crumble and submit to your feet. Notice it's all contingent upon honoring Yahweh first. Everybody see that? Okay. So now, let's move forward through this. This is important. Verse 26, see I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Now, if you want to label these as a blessing, A, and a curse, B, that might help you if you're keeping notes in your Bible. And the reason why this is important is because this, from verses 26 to 32, actually encapsulate everything that goes on in Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. In fact, I'm not going to get into it, but what the structure is from verses 26 to 32 is the front end of a chiasm that is repeated at the end of chapters 26, 27, and 28 in Deuteronomy later on. That's how this God is doing Deuteronomy okay it is so divinely woven that it's incredible stuff I won't bog you down with that but I want to let you know there's a lot more connection here than maybe what I can spare to give you with my finite mind so notice it says here verse 27 the blessing a if you listen and whenever you're talking to a kid when you say listen that doesn't mean just hear it right it always means what obey it do it. Hear what it is, do what I say kind of thing. If you listen to the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim, which I am commanding you today, and the curse be, if, notice that contingency again, if you do not listen to the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following, and notice what the competitive enemy is. What does it say? Little G gods, other Elohim, which are what? They're demons. It, are, it is demons that have been placed in authority over other nations and other gods. Everybody heard of Molech? Molech uh, is a god that is depicted in some cases as a three-story owl is what it is. 
And when the children of Israel it, it were their most rebellious point, so much so that God said it didn't even enter my mind that they could commit such evil as this. They ended up sacrificing their own children to this false god. And it wasn't just like a stab the child and let the child bleed out and die kind of thing. It was actually heating up an iron furnace type deal. like a, It's almost like a griddle or a hot plate and putting their children on there to fry to death. Insanity. And why was that? Because they were trying to gain acceptance with a little G God. Accept us so calamity doesn't come on us. Now, the insanity that is wrapped up in that is important when you see the freely extended mercy of God to them already. Does everybody see how messed up that is? It's extremely messed up. So when we think about how crazy that is by following other gods, and notice what he says after that at the end of 28, which you have not known. In other words, you don't know them like Yahweh has revealed himself to you. Yahweh God went to painstaking lengths to make himself known to the children of Israel, right? All you got to do is follow him from the Exodus deliverance to this point. Did God make himself known in many ways, in many fashions, with undoubtable evidence? Absolutely. And you would rather turn around to somebody who's a question mark that's not even real, can't see, can't speak, can't move, doesn't care about you? Is this really the trade-off we've got going on here? I tell you, yes. And this trade-off right here isn't any different than what we've seen in our culture today. Moving on here. Verse 29, It shall come about when Yahweh your Elohim brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, to inherit it. Remember, anytime you see possess there in Deuteronomy, it can be interchanged with inherit that you shall place the blessing, A, on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal being B. In fact, everybody put your finger here in Deuteronomy. We've got to finish this up here. But turn back to your maps in the back of your Bible. Very helpful to have your maps in the back. And I want you to find one that says the 12 tribes of Israel. It's probably your second or third map in the back if you have it. The 12 tribes of Israel. Everybody find that map in the back of your Bible? Everybody got it? Give everybody a second. You're still flipping. It's okay. Look for your maps in the very back. Maps is the book that comes after Revelation in your Bible. (laughs) It's Revelation, Concordance, Maps, okay? I don't know if that's divinely inspired, though. Um, But what I want you to do is I want you to find the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. Follow the river going straight north here, Jordan River. And when you get up into the, the area of Manasseh to the left, okay, to the west, I want you to find Shechem. Do you see Shechem? Everybody see Shechem? Can we zoom in on that, Mitch? Is that possible? Okay, that's fine. Uh, If you find Shechem there, I want you to look to the left, and you should on that map have two triangles. Does everybody see Mount Gerizim? And right above it to the north, Mount Ebal. Does everybody see that? Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. This is where these places are going to take place. Uh, This is where this blessing and cursing are going to take place for obedience and disobedience. It's two mountains that are serving as a representation. And notice that they are in the land. Does everybody see that? It's a part of which was probably, probably conquered whenever they came in. Uh, But I I, I can't be certain or for sure of that. But this is where we're talking about geographically speaking. Notice that Moses wants to illustrate this point in such a way as to where he's going to say, I want you to think of these two mountains in this way. So everybody turn back to chapter 11. Notice it says there, verse 29, the blessing, A, on Mount Gerizim, and the curse, B, on Mount Ebal. Uh, And the reason why these might be important is because 
on these in, in these regions right here are where both Abraham and Jacob both built altars right there in front of those mountains. So, man, that looks nice. Man. All right, go down some, or go up some. I'm sorry, go up. Up, 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 up. Everybody see them there? You got, is our new projector nice or what? Man. Uh, notice that you've got, this is so amazing, I want to touch it. Uh, Shechem. No, see everybody see Shechem there? Succoth, Shechem. And then notice you've got Mount Gerizim there and Mount Ebal, the two little triangles up top. Oh, we just went off. Go up. Up, 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 up. No, no, up. It's all right. Public school kid. All right. So, <laughs> just kidding. I am too. Uh, no, don't get me wrong. It was the Mac. Um, we're right here. Two triangles. Everybody see that? Mount Gerizim. It's in the Shechem region here of where both Abraham and Jacob both created altars there. And so that's probably why this was considered somewhat of a sacred place for them in Israel's history. So notice he's setting those up there. Verse 30. Are they not across the Jordan west of the way towards the sunset in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal uh, besides the Oaks of Moray? And you could geographically put all that out, but they've done that on the map. So your answer to that question in the Bible is, yeah, they are. So verse 31 for you are about to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land of which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you, and you shall possess, inherit it, and live in it. And you shall, uh, sorry, and you shall be careful to do all the statutes and all the judgments which I'm setting before you this day. I'm sorry I have to hurry. But here's the thing. This closes the section of Deuteronomy known as general stipulations. Okay? And notice the, the recurrent themes that we've seen. It's the whole idea of loving the Lord your God, keeping His commandments, keeping His statutes, fearing him, upholding him, holding fast to him, regardless of what comes along, taking note of past failures when people didn't hold fast to the Lord, understanding that these precepts are to be taught over and over, discipleship in the home happening of who God is and what he has done over and over and over in order to saturate it so that all of life is lived unto the Lord. All that constitutes what this general stipulation section is. And here's the reason why. is because in September, when we start up and we start chapter 12, verse 1, we are going to be dealing with the whole idea of specific stipulations under the heading of what is it to keep his commandments and how do I live life in that type of way? How do I live life in such a way that has fellowship with God? Remember this. Everyone in the Old Testament is saved one way and one way only, and that's by faith. But fellowship with Yahweh was to be cultivated by keeping the law. It was, keeping the law was never a means of gaining acceptance with God salvation-wise. Not at all. Keeping the law was always about intimacy with their Creator. Everybody good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the book of Deuteronomy, the goodness, the, the constant, uh, recurring, uh, repetitious declaration of knowing you upholding your truth, obeying you at all costs, not veering from the right uh, or to the right or to the left, but staying dead on with you and not letting anything cloud our understanding of where we need to be with you always. Thank you, God, for being merciful, patient with us, loving, gracious, and just, and especially where we are as church-age believers, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and Israel didn't have that, being given the Holy Spirit to indwell us, and Israel didn't have that giving us spiritual gifts of which to operate, calling us into a brand new entity uh, to be the body of Christ. Thank you for the wonderful privilege we have as the church. May this be blessed to our understanding. It's in Jesus' name, amen.